Hi, I'm Christiana Rickson, Head of Policy at the Charity Leaders Network, Akivo. Welcome to a special edition of the Akivo podcast about the report Home Truths, Undoing Racism and Delivering Real Diversity in the Charity Sector. In this episode, I talked to Dr. Sanjeev Lingaya, lead author of the report and associate at Voice for Change England, and Safina Ahmed, director of the John Elliman Foundation and a member of Akibo's race advisory group. They talk us through the making of the report, as well as their personal impressions about the findings and recommendations. Welcome to the Akivo podcast. I'm here with Sanjeev Lingaya, who is an associate with Voice for Change England and the lead author of the Home Truths Report. And also with Safina Ahmed, who is CEO of John Elliman Foundation and also a member of Akivo's Race Advisory Group. Welcome both of you. Sanjeev, could you just tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got involved with Voice for Change England um, and the kind of work that you do with them? I suppose I'm a researcher mostly and a writer. And uh, about 10 years ago, it will be now, I was a research fellow at London Metropolitan University and my then boss bumped into the then director of Voice for Change England on a train, as you do. And we got involved and I got involved in writing their first strategic document. Voice for Change England is about 11 years old or so and it is a BME or BAME uh, umbrella organization uh, supporting uh, BAME-led civil society organizations and they uh, many of these organizations of course are based on responding to being in uh, a society where there is racial inequity and over the years we've done various things together together including um, they supported me through a PhD and at the moment I'm doing two things with Voice for Change England one is the uh, Home Truths report with Akivo and in another piece of work I'm doing uh, with the part where the partners is running me trust where it's a program called Reframing Race so essentially we're looking at how advocates and activists can talk more powerfully and effectively about racism and about the need for racial justice so that we can better secure change. Thank you. Uh, and Safina, um, so you're CEO of John Elliman Foundation and a bit of a, a shero of mine, uh, being a young woman in a senior leadership role. You're also a big advocate for equality in the charity sector. Could you tell us a little bit about your professional career, um, how you got to where you are now and um, your kind of role with uh, Institute of Fundraising uh, and with Akibo in its um, race equality work. Wow, that was very nice. Thank you. Um, I don't want to kind of overstate my title. I'm technically a director, but um, I'll take CEO. That's very kind. I mean, my career is, has predominantly been in the charity sector. I started off in adult uh, with learning disability charities and working with older people before moving to the funder side of things, starting at the National Lottery Community Fund before then moving to City Bridge Trust. Then did a stint at the City of London Corporation, um, working in corporate strategy and kind of being outside of my comfort zone when it came to having to work on more than just civil society related matters. So recently joined Element back in January this year. We are a responsive, uh, flexible, open funder. We fund organisations with a turnover of between £100,000 and £10 million a year to do work in the arts, social action and environment. We provide core funding towards core costs. In terms of being an advocate around 
around equity, diversity and inclusion. My kind of first foray into that formally was through the Institute of Fundraising, where I chaired the Change Collective, which was an initiative that they launched a few years ago now to think about how the fundraising profession could be more equal, diverse and inclusive and to try and move away from this kind of feeling of people had to be the right fit in order to do well in that profession. So, yeah, I I think in terms of my career, it's very much um, charity sector based and I've been really fortunate that in the last few years I've been able to work both with the Institute of Fundraising and since that role I've also been able to work with yourselves at Akivo with your race advisory group and kind of make this a part of um, what I do in the profession as well which is great. Thank you both of you. We're here today to talk about the the, the report that Voice for Change England and Akivo are launching today and it's uh, been 12 months since we started the project but probably about two years since Sanjeev and I started talking about it or had our first meeting about it. So the report to give it its, its full title is Home Truths Undoing Racism and Delivering Real Diversity in the Charity Sector. Sanjeev when we re- launched the report last year you wrote a blog to accompany it and you said in that that we need to change the song not just the singer can you talk a bit more about what you meant by this and how that kind of led the structure of the report yeah sure I suppose I had been tuning in a little bit to the diversity discussion and debate so really I I do racial justice work so I it's a bit new for me to come into the diversity agenda because it has been different from doing racial justice work, I suppose. And one of the things I was seeing just kind of by by listening and reading things was that um, in some ways the term diversity kind of hid a lot or, or obscured a lot of the key issues that I think we need to address. So as, as, as Safina has said, you know, I'm very much of the kind of diversity, equity and inclusion. And then so we have the challenge of well, what does that mean? And I think I noticed quite a limited debate. In some ways, the debates seem to be mostly about who does the work in the charity sector, not the work itself. And I think that that's a misunderstanding of what true diversity, equity and inclusion means or does or should do. Because having worked with lots of BAME-led civil society organisations, the who does the work and what the work is are inextricably linked. And I think are not so interested in a charity sector that essentially does the same work but has more Mm -hmm. black and brown people in more senior roles because what we're trying to ultimately um, the charity sector ought to be a means to building a just society and sustainable environments so I'm really interested in that kind of external way in external ways that the charity sector is going to be a force for progress and justice so the, the term not just changing the singer but changing the song is it's not just about replacing the personnel it is about fundamentally rethinking what the charity sector is for and what it does Mm. and so I wanted to make sure in doing 
this work and entering the diversity debate that that was a centerpiece that it's this is not a limited project actually in some ways it's quite a transformative project if we're going to do diversity equity and inclusion well in the sector it really is going to transform who does the work how it is done and what the work is that's the great and Safine, does that chime with what you want to see in the sector as well does yeah, I think that's such a kind of compelling way of putting it, to be honest. And, and I guess it comes to what I thought I wanted more from the report on. Firstly, I want to say a huge congratulations to all of you involved in it, but certainly to you, Christiana and Sanjeev, it's an incredible report. I think for me, and it touches a little on what Sanjeev's just um, spoken about, it's trying to get our heads round, um, you know, what's already happened in the sector and what effect and impact has, has that had? And possibly, you know, the focus on diversity has been quite limiting and potentially not had as much impact as uh, we might like. And so the fact that this report looks at this in terms of racial justice, social justice, the kind of need for the sector itself to consider the systemic inequalities and barriers that it itself sustains in order to then become more just and equitable is quite a fascinating and different dare I say angle for this type of discussion Mm. yeah I think there's an element of trying to understand where we've been um understanding Mm. where we are now which you know the report absolutely does and getting a sense of how do we get to the where next which I you know, I know is partly in the recommendations, but yeah, that's that's some of the kind of questions I was left with having read it. I'd love to come back and um, explore some of those later on in the podcast. And I think, you know, some of what you're both saying and Sanjeev, what, what you're saying is that this was a, it is a, a partnership between a mainstream charity and a BAME-led charity. And I think obviously my learning as a, as a white person, I think in the last couple of years has come on huge amounts, but I think um, to an extent, obviously, Sanjeev, you were there at the very beginning of this project and, you know, that's something that I hope Akivo can can bring us a white-led organisation that is trying to change how it views and sees diversity because in quite honesty I think in when Akiva started working on this a few years ago I did think of diversity and inclusion in terms of numbers and not in terms of culture and didn't really think of it in terms of changing the work which I think is now absolutely the root of what the focus should be changing the the root and the work of how we we do things so coming on to the report itself so just to talk a a little bit about numbers quickly we had just under 500 responses to our online survey and then we did 24 in-depth interviews um, 13 with charity leaders um, two BAME leaders and 11 white leaders and then uh, some more in-depth interviews with BAME charity staff and we also did two round tables one with race justice activists and one with what we've we called system shapers so people who are funders or influencers or membership groups like Evo. There was a huge amount of data there and we were quite surprised weren't we Sanjeev at the number of people who responded to the online survey. I think I, I said at one point if we had a hundred responses that would be great. We ended up getting near enough 500 detailed ones. That was fantastic so it really added to the richness of things. It was a lot of data and um, quite challenging I think to to hear some of those stories. Uh, we, you know, we recognise that it isn't a, a random sample of BAME people in the charity sector so that does have implications for the uh, findings but even so it was a very rich and textured data set and people were really honest and we we also recognise that it 
it's hard for some people to talk about these issues. They're very um, painful and harmful. Certainly, I'm immensely grateful for all of those people who um, did fill out the uh, survey. I think it's one of the richest pieces of data that we have about BAME people in the charity sector. Yeah, absolutely. And I think a question to, to both of you, was there anything, you know, when you read the report in terms of the findings that we pulled out that you found particularly surprising or shocking or perhaps if not that something that stood out to you as um, a key thing that was a challenge or a key takeaway that you you think people should focus on but just in terms of what surprised me I was really struck by one the actual way in which the um, report was written so there was a real kind of frankness and a real honesty to it and I think that seeing that come from organisations like Voice for Change England and Akibo is really powerful and necessary. So I think that the absolute kind of style and way in which it was written is probably unlike a lot of this type of literature that I've seen before. Um, in terms of things that surprised me as well, it's because it was so kind of direct in terms of what it was that you were describing and analysing, it's actually quite difficult to read about people's experiences, but also Mm. to read about the responses that you're getting different leaders and how they're managing the questions that you're asking of them. So that in itself was quite um, an unusual reaction I ended up having to reading the report, because normally, and sanitised in a negative way, but normally you don't see that kind of rawness. Yes, and and, and that was one of the things that we were, I think, all keen, because Maisie is the other author uh, as well um, from Akibo. I think we were all keen to be as direct and honest as possible. Um, And I I should say as well, some of the interviews, I think at one point I did... uh, flag with Christiana um, that mm. I was getting some battle fatigue doing the interviews because it, it's so so hard to listen to some of those stories as well but that is the reality and I think one thing that I've learned if you want to do change you have to be real at least um, and there was something as well about honouring those especially kind of BAME people who came forward and contributed we, uh, we were all very mindful of doing that um, in terms of surprises I try and be a good researcher and not have too many expectations but I am also a, uh, an advocate for change as well I'll start with a positive thing because I often go more in the negative side so um, it's interesting I think there were 10% of respondents that said that their ethnicity had helped them in the charity sector. So given the numbers of people responding, that's 40 odd or maybe closer to 50 people. And I would really like to know what that is about, I suppose. And it could be, it could be a number of things, but perhaps they are working in um, particularly DEI forward organisations organizations that are really ahead of the game on diversity equity and inclusion they might be just really optimistic and optimism is okay and uh, quite often needed but I was quite surprised by that and then I I suppose the other thing I want to flag up is I'm not sure if it's surprising or not but interesting nonetheless so basically half of our respondents thought that they had to either tone down or be on their best behavior uh, in order to get buy and get on in the sector yeah that, that's that's very troubling because it means that people can't be who they are or, or aren't allowed to be who they are and in the report there's um, a reference to uh, a report by an American 
American academic uh, called on the concept of covering and emotional labor it takes to pretend to be someone you are not. I think that's a slightly unseen cost. So we know that there are lots of BAME folk exiting, probably not a, a lot of BAME folk not coming into the sector in the first place. But there's even damage around just being in and trying to navigate the sector. That that was uh, kind of fascinating to me and kind of and um, flagged up in a way that I hadn't thought about as strongly before the collateral damage, the the human cost of just being oneself. The point around covering and feeling like they had to tone down their behaviour, I think, was, was the way that the question was framed. I think it was particularly stark. And when I think about one of the statistics that particularly stood out for me was we asked people who was responsible for the racism they received in the charity sector. And I think, and this is probably, again, me trying to sanitise the experiences or intellectual intellectualize them away from the sector that I thought that actually they would have bigger problems with say corporate partners um for fund fundraisers or external um people we're working with but mm-hmm. by far and away the people who are perpetrating the racism were senior leadership within the organization that the individual worked for and senior leadership in partner charities and that really struck me as has shown me kind of how big a, a challenge it is that it goes to the very top and that's why people say leadership is needed on board uh, to to change this because it's directly the behavior of leaders that's causing this harm so i hope that the report is engaged with in that way by leaders but maybe that was maybe it was what do you think that was less perhaps surprising for both of you or did that one when you saw it sandy did that jump out at all it certainly makes sense and one of the things we noticed through the data is there are problems in reporting racism as well so people feeling punished uh, by the hierarchy and organizations for calling out racism i think a number of um, authors have talked about this idea where it's the person calling out racism that becomes the problem not racism itself yeah so certainly i was expecting leadership to be in some way implicated Uh, this is as you're right to say christiana this is quite a direct connection and I think that is troubling but I also think perhaps one of the things that we've talked about and it's in the report as well is that racism is really ordinary it's rather pervasive it's in sectors that aim to do good it's a deep mindset and and we're we're all swimming in the same ocean where kind of racism is around so in some ways perhaps we shouldn't be surprised Mm -hmm. I think the other thing is what it also tells me and I would say that the in-depth interviews with some of the charity leaders reveal as well is that some leaders have displayed defensiveness, white fragility. So the very mention of racism is is something that closes them down and leads to defensiveness and resistance and pushback. That is at play as well. But also our research reveals that there's so much more work that some white charity leaders have to do in engaging with the subject matter thinking about how they are situated in a racist system and also to some extent the investment they have in that system mm-hmm. and I think it's really hard to to unravel that that is a lot of work but I think we have to expect and demand from our leaders that they do the work. Safina do you have any reflections on on those points? 
Not a huge amount to add. I think all I would say is that there's so much that seems to have escaped people's attention about this subject and this issue that inevitably I think it is far more prevalent at all levels than any of us realise, which this report helps to demonstrate. You know, I'm sure there's lots of positive stories, but you cannot escape the fact that the research highlights so clearly that at all levels, including a leadership level where it is as unacceptable as it is at any level, this is happening. And I think it is partly because we don't really understand what racism is as a society, that it is perhaps as stark or obvious as it comes through in this report. Move to um, just a discussion on language now, which we touched on in the report. So we we use the term BAME in in the report, which um, stands for Black and Minoritized Ethnic, but it's not a term that many people would use to describe themselves. Could you speak, Sanji, a bit about why we decided to use that, and perhaps also about the use of the term minoritized instead of minority? Yes. So it's Black Asian Minoritized Ethnic, and it's really it's largely a census term that scoops up. I think it's about 17 or 18 ethnic groups, essentially everyone who's outside the category or self-identifies outside the category of white British. So it's not great language. It is, as you say, it's not the language of self-identification. So I think it's really problematic. I think some of the alternatives are difficult too. Um, Obviously, there's Mm. things like people of colour, ethnic minorities. So the, I, I think there's no easy kind of catch-all. I, what I would say is that I would use another term or prefer another term, but I'll tell you about that in a minute. And if I don't, please remind me. Mm-hmm. But the reason why um, <laughs> we use BAME in the report is because we wanted to highlight the experiences of a large set of different populations who exist beyond the category of white British. If you're trying to do an aggregate report, I think it's quite hard to not use some aggregating term. The term I prefer, and I've used elsewhere, is um, racialized and minoritized. The EVs on the end of both of those are, are quite important. So race doesn't exist. We know that it's 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 made up by humans to uh, order the world in a certain way. So the term racialized is indicates that some something is being imposed on a set of populations uh, in order to do work which is largely around constraining freedom and opportunity and minoritized is the same because well so mathematically in in the uk there are more white british people than exist not in that category but the the reason why we use minoritized in in our version of bame rather than minority is again to indicate a a process that is happening in order to other people and often to problematize and make a problem of certain populations. Yeah, it is tricky. Um, And the other, I suppose one of the reasons why I didn't push for using racialized and minoritized in this report is essentially because of some of the audience, at least, that we want to reach. Kind of BAME is something that people have heard about and I think the report asks people to do a lot of work so engaging with white fragility to think about racism as a system that is pervasive and harmful there's a lot of work so sometimes I think one maybe uses language that is imperfect but allows you to kind of make make the point 
Yeah, and I think the, we talked in the report about, not in depth, but we've definitely touched on colonialism and paternalism. And I think people, many people in the sector would, would not perhaps have given any thought as to how those two concepts actually built in today's charity sector. We were quite conscious about using the term racism rather than bias, or sometimes people say racially charged or racially infused to kind of soften the term racism. And I think that's, in fact, that felt quite an important thing to, to include in the report and in the title, in fact. I, I would echo that. And because a lot of the diversity reports exclude the word racism. And I had noticed I, I did a quick word count in our report and we mentioned it 191 times. Okay. Uh, yeah, so I have I have tried to balance out some of the previous failings. The, the thing about racism as well, what, what, what's it kind of interesting about that is I think it's simultaneously something that we make too much of and do too little about. So when I mean make too much of, of course, it's, it, it is a kind of terrible thing, but it's so hyper abnormalized that people could even in the charity sector could racism could exist but actually it is there it's there it's yeah. a very everyday phenomenon just like sexism is so in some ways i think we just really need people just to engage with that as a concept and of course it's something that we do too little about because in some ways there's quite a silencing uh, atmosphere about the discussion of racism whether that's someone reporting racism in an institution or talking about it in a sector more generally we have to do it in hushed tone yeah so I think language really really matters and I, I do realize that especially around the term BAME that will a bit problematic for some mm. but hopefully people will go with us. Safina, any thoughts around language, either how it's used in the report or, or language that you use yourself when talking about racism and the AME? So super supportive of the language that is used. I think that it is really difficult to get language right and kind of find the terminology that works for everyone, particularly people who are kind of fighting the good fight on this day in, day out. And everyone is kind of having to address so much in that regard. For me, it comes down to intention. And in reading the report, you can see so clearly what the intention behind the language that's being used is. And for that reason, it makes it a lot easier to kind of not get distracted, as Sanji says, because there's a, you know, a bigger picture in there as well. To look back at kind of the AME, as you said, Sanji Velia, it's like 17 or 18 groupings, um, artificially made groupings put together. And we're recording this a week and a half after the death of George Floyd in America, which has led to protests for civil rights uh, and justice. The experiences in the report, we touch on, but we don't go into detail about it. The experiences of people are different within that BAME structure and they are racialized in different ways. Is there any kind of reflections or, or thoughts either of you have on, on, on that that you want to share? I think that's it's absolutely correct that different popula populations are racialized in different ways and harmed in different ways and punished mm -hmm. in different ways. One of the things that I'd be keen to do in the future, and it is in the recommendations, is to do further work with more specific racialized groups about particular experiences in the charity sector. As you say, Christiana, we, we scratch at the surface of this a little bit, but um, but we work 
kind of constrained just by the the nature of the type of survey that we did and so on but we scratch at the surface of gender and look at how that seems to play out in terms of negative experiences in the charity sector um we look at a little bit i think those on kind of anti-black racism particularly i think around notions of uh, intellectual inferiority mm-hmm. which is one mode of racism that was identified in the research and and you know i just think about some of the interviews that i did with a charity phone at least a couple of the black women talking to me about being stereotyped as angry that 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 kind of old trope of the angry black woman and and again it's used as a silencing mechanism it is absolutely right up there that people are differently racialized and we talk about doing some kind of barometer survey of Bain folk in the charity sector as part of the follow-up work and there at least I'd hope that we might be able to zoom in a little bit more on specific experiences because you know those really those really do matter. And Safina? Yeah absolutely would echo so much of that. I think the other points I'd make would be that ultimately I do think that there is a real spectrum of disadvantage and marginalization that occurs based on so many different factors in terms of which category you've ended up falling into, how that then might intersect your class, your postcode, your gender, your ability or disability or whatever it might be. And so I think that, you know, we talk a lot about lived experience in the sector, and I think it's really important to bring lived experience and user voice into everything that we do. But we have to be so mindful of the fact that everyone's lived experience is ultimately quite unique and representative first and foremost of them as an individual then to an extent of whatever label they might be representing in that moment but I think it is really important that this is a huge spectrum of experience and the ways in which it intersects um, with other labels that people might have can further widen the the kind of extent of the experience that people have. I think one of the the things that like Sandra was saying that we've we only scratched that in this report and I think is certainly an area where we could look to go into more depth in the future is understanding or or putting out some of that um, intersectionality a bit more and what that looks like and I think people use the term racism to kind of encompass all experiences and but then if you're asked to name a stereotype of a particular group of people that becomes easy and similarly you know the pandemic you know and, and East Asian people and Chinese people often call the kind of model minority I think is the phrase that's used but since the lockdown began I think there's been a threefold increase in racism towards people who are East Asian so how are we checking in with those people in the charity sector and and how does that present in the workplace and what does that look like and similarly you know with the kind of trauma that is being put on our screens and on our timelines and being discussed in the media how are we supporting our black colleagues at the moment through that trauma this is something we need to live as people who live and work in the charity sector not something that can just be something we read about and intellectualize I don't know if that makes sense to either <laughs> I think I, I agree with that I just want to come back to something that Safina was talking about which is just recognizing how we're all differently situated in society and there are multiple different aspects to that you know so I'm a Mauritian boy from Tottenham and and all of that has certain implications about 
kind of education I receive, places I go to, the places I don't go to, and so on. And I think, as, as Safina says, that, that quite unique in some ways. And I think part of the balance around doing essentially racial justice or anti-racism work is to recognise the uniqueness of how people are situated, but also to look for the common aspects in struggle so that we can build the power of our our movement to do work around racism as well. So there's something about how do you kind of hold at the same time the idea of what does racism do to us as individuals situated in different ways, but also what are we going to do about racism and the work that we can collectively do particularly when I think about gender race and class I can see how those issues can compound to multiply punish certain groups sometimes hard to I I find to kind of navigate how we talk about that and I think in in this report I think we did make the decision to kind of recognize and express kind of affinity with other struggles but it's not always easy to kind of operationalize that and I just think about one of the one of the factors of this report is it has allowed me to do us to do a couple of things which is to talk very openly and explicitly about racism and to talk about white privilege or the privilege Villages yeah. that can accrue being mm. because one one is white and sometimes actually through an intersectional frame that's harder to do because yeah. the added layers to that produces and to be honest I think that when it comes to a conversation on racism it's so easy to lose the focus on it even when you're there to yeah. talk about one thing somehow I'm, I'm sure you've been in a similar situation many times Sanjeev and Christiana where you um, start talking about racism and somehow you end up talking about something else um, and yeah. so I think it is really important to have a relentless focus on that in the report and I do think you know it's absolutely referenced that this is is intersectional of course but no I completely agree I think it's important to have that focus because otherwise it's so easy for it to be distracted away from I think when Nikibo first started working on saying that we wanted to explicitly work on race and we had a round table a number of the BAME participants were saying it has to be explicitly be about race because otherwise it gets pulled into other more comfortable areas of inclusion and by and large I think I've I've read studies that say that when you talk about diversity I suppose more generally it's white women who benefit the most and progress towards justice isn't made with other groups that experience oppression. Just to move on to the recommendations and so there are there are 15 recommendations in the report which kind of span individual action to policy and process. Are there any when you read them that you thought are particularly important to creating change and also perhaps Sanjay from your perspective looking back is there anything you wish we had included but we didn't or and Safina anything that you think should have been pulled out that wasn't? So first of all I really like the framing I like the fact that the recommendations are broken down into what the sector can do what organisations specifically can do and then the roles and responsibility of CEOs and senior leaders I think it's important to be very explicit about who needs to do what maybe it's just a bit of unnecessary pessimism I think it will be really hard to get a lot of this adopted. I think it's necessary and I'm sure that it's the right organisations to be leading the charge. I think Akivo and Voice for Change England have credibility and sway in the sector. So it's good to hear these recommendations coming from you. I think even that first recommendation of redefine racism as ordinary systemic and institutional when you unpack that having read the whole report like that is a huge recommendation right there 
<laughs> you're only on number one um, so I'm not trying to be kind of uh, silly but I just think there's an element of these are necessarily ambitious but they are ambitious I love the framing of them I think that they will be hard to see real adoption mm-hmm. of in the kind of immediate term but I do believe that they're they're very much feasible and necessary um, recommendations you're right the um there is a lot in the recommendation i think it is ambitious and i was thinking about what kind of how do we do the work i was on a panel at a civil society event in january of this year and one of the things that i said there which i think is still correct is what does critical mass mean in order to get things moving like what, what what is enough to begin to to shift things significantly i don't know the answer but I'm not expecting that every organisation will do this by any means. But I think one of the things that I was thinking about is that there there has been relatively little consequence for organisations not to move meaningfully mm-hmm. on diversity, equity and inclusion. So we need to we need to get consequence back in the game. And I think I really do like some of the work that Charity So White have done, really shining a light mm-hmm. on some of the the contradictions that exist in the charity sector about kind of talking about higher values but not necessarily upholding them Um, so I think we need to get enough movement on these recommendations that it becomes consequential to yeah. not be moving in terms in terms of specific recommendations one of the things that i am very keen on organizations mainstream charitable organizations to talk about is mm. what are your race equity goals i think that is really significant because i think many organizations have, have been silent on on that and i think we need them to talk about that and i one of the things we emerged in the research with the idea that some white leaders some uh, white-led organizations are feeling nervous about getting things wrong and i think that's okay but some of the other recommendations give guidance on the work that people could do can I yeah. quickly add, I've obviously forgotten the most obvious set of recommendations, which was funders. So love that framing too. To be honest, I think those two recommendations are really uh, solid. Um, the points I'd make just briefly are that obviously there are a huge range of statutory, non-statutory private investors into civil society. And so I think this kind of feeds into a, a some thinking that needs to happen in the sector around where the money comes from and where it goes and how we address the fact that that may be driven by issues as outlined in the report itself and then just on a kind of smaller additional point you know I think it is important that funders use their role as not just giving the money away but trying to work with the organisations it gives money away to to think about how best to spend that money Mm. but it's like anywhere in the sector we're not necessarily the experts and we're not necessarily best placed to do that very well but it is obviously in the trust and foundation space and in the funder space it's definitely a conversation and that's referenced in the report in terms of the work that the association of charitable foundations is doing around diversity equity and inclusion and the grant givers movement so i think that there are you know lots of kind of flowers that are being planted here but i think like every part of the sector it's got a ways to go on this 
Thank you. Can I sure. just add one thing? So I think that that's absolutely right and really helpful. I think it's interesting in this um, pandemic moment as well. Uh, well, you know, you'll know this, Sabina. I'm sure you're involved in lots of conversations um, with other funders about the disproportional impacts on BAME lives and livelihoods as well. There are, I know, lots of conversations that are happening amongst funders, certainly to talk about crisis monies. I think part of the challenge is how do we ensure that, that as we begin to, to rebuild that uh, racial equity is fundamental to that rebuild and, and clearly funders are, are thinking about that, but they need to step up. I'm inviting them to stay up. That's fair. Today, I read an article that three BAME advisors to the National Equality Trust had stepped down because they didn't, their suggestions and their expertise wasn't being taken seriously. So I think we can't just assume that when we build back better, that we will without consciously changing how we operate and how we work. So I think that throws that into sharp relief too. And just kind of a kind of final what's next. Akiva and Voice for Change would like to work together. Again, there's a shameless plug in it that we'll need some more money to carry on the work. But um, also that I would love, I you know, would love to work with a bigger coalition of organisations, especially BME-led organisations on this work. And I think the key is around accountability because you know we're very conscious that even though I'm, yeah, I'm definitely very proud of the report and and uh, I think it's necessary and I'm I'm really pleased with how it's framed. But also I know it is a report and action has to follow. And I want to play a role and I want Akiva to play a role in making sure that action is followed through and that there is accountability. Because, you know, the, in the report, you think it was 61, 60, 61% of, of people had raised concerns with their senior leadership team, but only 20% of those felt that those complaints have been dealt with so there's clearly an accountability issue in the sector as well so I think that's really important any final thoughts from from either of you two Sanjeev first I mean I, I would certainly say that the next thing really is about action obviously Akivo is well placed with its membership certainly at Voice for Change we are committed to doing this work and I mean, the next phase is definitely about implementation and how do we think imaginatively about moving on various of the different elements in the recommendations. Um, when I did the first Akibo blog, um, one, our, our major goal was for this not to be just another diversity report. And I think we have framed it well and, and hopefully honoured the people who have contributed uh, and done justice to their experiences. But if there's not follow up action and implementation, then we will be one of those pile of diversity equity and inclusion yeah. reports and uh, I'm, I'm very very committed to to not making that the case i just really want to reiterate a huge congratulations to you all for pulling this together it's definitely not just another diversity report coming back to the point i made towards the beginning around where we've been to where we need to get to and I think the final point I would say and you know notwithstanding the points you've made already so well about accountability and making action happen but I would just say that when I joined the sector formally in 2009 this is not a report I would have ever seen and so there is something in that in itself the fact that a report like this exists 
is important. Thank you. And, and I think and a, a big thank you as well to Charity So White, who I think have pushed forward this discussion and this uh, how we talk about racism. Well, I think um, the beginning of the report, I had some thoughts that this would be the first time a mainstream organisation engaged in this way. But I think the work that Charity So White have been doing to make to engage with mainstream organisations to be more progressive in how they approach race equity has really changed the landscape. So that's big thank you to them as well. Thank you, Safina, for all your points as well. Really constructive, really helpful. Uh, no, really pleased to be here. So thank you. I think, um, yeah, somewhat more in a personal capacity than my role, perhaps. It's hard to say at the moment when I'm so new, but um, yeah, really pleased to be here. Thanks, Sanjeev and Safina, for taking part in the podcast. And if you haven't read the Home Truths report yet, please download a copy from the Akivo website, akivo.org.uk. Bye.